the One Two Football Podcast. The voices of tomorrow here today. Hey guys, welcome back to the One Two Football Podcast. I'm Nathan. Today we are recapping this summer's Premier League transfer window. As usual, I'm here with Ollie and Kieran. How are you guys? I'm good. Interesting day for us anyway. Obviously, when it comes out, the transfer window would have been closed for like two days. But for us, it's deadline day. Hence why we're doing the transfer mm. special. And for me personally, Man United, you know, we got three points when we probably shouldn't have. So, you know, it's been a good, good couple of days for me. Yeah, three points. Beat the mighty Watford, top of the league. Arsenal at the bottom, you'd love to see it. Not much yeah. more I can add. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, I, I, it's a deadline day today. And obviously, you'll know what has happened on deadline day. But... I don't think any of our teams are going to particularly be doing that much. Liverpool need to do something, but they're not. Man United probably need to do get someone in a certain position in holding midfield. They're not going to do that. And Tottenham, 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 Tottenham. Emerson. probably going to get announced today, but in terms of anyone else, probably maybe people being moved out of the club. Other than that, probably going to be a quiet one. Yeah, so, so in this episode, we're going to go through the Premier League transfer window. As, as said, it's going to be who are favourite transfer, who the best transfers are, who the most risky transfer is, who's had the best window and some signings that have perhaps gone a little under the radar in comparison to some of the bigger ones. There's no better place to start with the best of the best, who are the top three signings. We're going to start with third place, we'll go around give our third place, second place, first place and Kieran, who's in third place for you? Oh, this is this was hard. There's a there's been a lot of signings uh, in this window, a lot of good ones, some bad ones, some risky ones, which which we'll come on to. Um, in third, some place, under the radar ones as well. Under the radar as well, yeah. <laughs> um, in third place, though, um, in terms of what I think is probably the third best transfer for a Premier League team, I've gone for Rafael Varane. Um, probably could have been number two or number one. It's more about what the relativeness to the club, I think. And defensively, Manchester United, back when it was Lindelof and Maguire, were... It was it was all right. Like, you would get Champions League football, likely, with those two. But when you add someone with the pedigree of Rafa Varane, you know, multi-time Champions League winner, World Cup winner, I mean, his accomplishments speak for himself. Um, and even after that, you know, his performance against Wolves as well. Um, he had to do a lot of defending. Um and that's obviously what he's been brought into the club for. Um, I mean, the midfield of United is another question, but he's definitely going to strengthen up that defensive and, well, when against every single team they manage to push through Man United's midfield like it's bubbles. Um, so, Varane, very good signing for me, third place. So, I just had to bring you down a peg or two there, Ollie, because I knew you were too happy that I picked Varane. So. <laughs> I prefer, no, Varane was on my list, and I'm glad somebody else said him because he didn't make it into my top three. I, I, I really wanted to, and I could have put you know, other players there, but he just didn't make it for me. But, you know, he's a quality, quality um, player who just makes that defence look, you know, 10 times better, not only on paper, but, but in real life. And I think that was proven in his debut for Wolves. It wasn't the, you know, most amazing debut in the world but he showed what he who he is and what he give, brings to this team you know which is that sort of assurance at the back because Traore was destroying us and yet every single time they they broke us down there was always a player there most of the time was Varane as well was putting a leg in to you know to block it so if he can do that for the rest of the season that'll be absolutely marvellous so yeah uh, but I'll go in with my third place um it is another centre-back um and I thought actually prior to recording this, someone was going to ruin it. But, you know, we, we'll we go with it anyway. It's Kabak. 
only just happened, and I've got him in there. It could be a shock. Kieran's face shows it that that was a shock one. But for me, a player that was at Liverpool last season, I think 13 league appearances, made them get top four, Champions League football, in a defence that was in turmoil with injuries, who came in, didn't do anything overly special, but he looked comfortable in a Liverpool team. And that isn't easy for any player to do. Now, if it wasn't for signing, obviously I'll completely, uh, Conte, nearly forgot his name then, he probably would have, they, what the name? <laughs> they probably, probably would have done their option to buy on Quebec. So, I mean, it shows you that Norwich have got a very, very top um, class player here. However, for me, it's more of a risk for the player than it is for the club. I think the club have got an amazing defender here. For someone that was at Liverpool last season, Liverpool really probably did consider signing permanently, but Norwich to get them is an incredible signing for that club. For me, Quebec, obviously, Schalke was relegated. And now he could go to Norwich. One relegation on your CV looks bad. If he gets relegated again, as a centre-back as well, it's not great look for the player. But for the club... The, the Turkish Aaron Ramsdale. What's that? It'll become the Turkish Aaron Ramsdale. Yeah, it's just not going to look pretty, is it? But for the club, Norwich, they've got an amazing signing on their hands. I know it's a loan with an option to buy. So maybe, you know, if they get relegated, also no thanks and leave. But, I mean, to get someone that Liverpool were really considering and someone that actually did pretty well in Liverpool's defence last season for the few games he played, I think it's a quality signing for Norwich. And, you know, we're talking about not only the player, but the sort of the impact these players have on the team. That could be, you know, a lifeline for Norwich uh, this season. So, yeah, it just it, he had to get into my top three. Yeah, I think that's a good signing for Norwich. I think Norwich's business has been generally pretty good this year. Um, Rashika, Gilmore, especially the, the use of the loan market, Williams, Gilmore. And 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 Quebec now. I mean, it, in terms of bad starts, Norwich have had probably the hardest start to a Premier League season. You probably could have asked for coming up with the, the exception of maybe Chelsea instead of Leicester, but you know Man City, Liverpool. So of course they weren't going to win any of their first three games, but they looked alright against Leicester. And with Quebec coming in, strengthening that back line, they could be onto something. The only thing I would say is Quebec was a bit slow. And if they, I need, I don't can't remember who plays centre back for Norwich regularly. It might be Grant Hanley. Gibson or Hanley. Yeah, I mean maybe Gibson because just. Kabat lacked a little bit of pace in it and it kind of showed at first but him and Phillips were a big reason why we got third and I think Fabinho obviously coming back in helped help that out especially because that was that experienced head so if you get someone experienced next to Kabat I think it's a good sign someone that I was very very surprised wasn't picked up sooner for a very cheap price he, I think he was available for like six million four million maybe even three because Schalke just wanted to get rid of the wages so I was very surprised that any a lot of the mid-table teams weren't in for him but I mean go on to mine I mean we are talking about Norwich um, my third best signing for me is a player that left Norwich to go to Aston Villa Emi Buendia who um, joined Aston Villa for I can't remember how much but he joined Aston Villa quite early on in the window and everyone was kind of like why is he left or why have Norwich done that but the truth is Buendia was putting up numbers in the championship that were just absolutely unreal in the Premier League when Norwich were absolutely awful he was one of the most creative players in the league when Norwich were the, very clearly the worst team in the league and I think and you can't replace someone like Grealish in the same way Spurs wouldn't be able to replace Kane, the same way Liverpool probably wouldn't have been able to replace Suarez. You can't replace someone that important to your team. But Margot Buendia is, is a great option too. I mean, just so, he's going to help Villa so much in terms of creating chances, helping get others into play. And for me, he's, he's someone that, again, top six clubs should have been looking at. You know, you're looking at teams like Liverpool. I, I, would, I would love Liverpool to get him. I mean, exactly, you know, Arsenal should have been all over it, in my opinion, instead of, instead of Odegaard. Um, and just like, 
he's someone that is is going to make that team better. And it might take a bit to settle in. Sometimes it does for creative players. You know, they've got to figure out how their teammates work, especially considering Aston Villa have brought in a whole load of creative talent this year. But when it gets when it starts working, I think we're going to see just how good he is. And it's it's an exciting sign and an exciting window for Aston Villa as a whole. Yeah, no, I think it's a great sign. And like you said, other teams should have been onto him. But I mean, he's not had the most amazing um, start. I mean, Kieran was annoyed, I think, from the first couple of starts because he's obviously in his fantasy team. But he got a goal not last weekend. Yeah, he got a goal on the weekend. Um, finally, you know, got that all-important goal that hopefully kick-start um, his season. But I mean, to come in and, like you said, replace someone like Grealish, it's not going to be easy. It's never easy for any player to do that transition to a new club. But to be that sort of that man now that has to be replacing Grealish, you, everyone knew what Grealish meant to that club. So it was never going to be easy to him. But, um, yeah, I think it's only only a great signing. That I don't think it's going to go bad at all. I'd be shocked if it did. And to be fair, I don't think he'll be at Aston Villa for, for that many seasons. You said about the big six, and I think he's only going to do, you know, a lot better for his reputation. And I'm sure, you know, three seasons' time, maybe he'll be getting a transfer to a bigger club. He could be a big part of Villa establishing himself in, in the big six. Now, obviously, we know that's their intentions. A lot of money behind the club. And I mean, it's, it's an exciting time for some of these Premier teams. I mean, we're probably touching it when we talk about other things, but this transfer window has proven that these big teams, these smaller, not smaller teams, but, you know, these West Ham's Astonbers, they can attract big players. And, that, and that's quite fun and exciting for us who get to watch the Premier League. Mm, for sure, for sure. But um, while we're on the topic um, of Aston Villa, if we move on to our, our second place signings, um, this is a striker. Uh, and it's Danny Ings. I mean, the man just scores goals, and he has done already. And he scores some brilliant goals already. Um, the, the cut price of what I think was around twenty-five million from Southampton as well has given you probably, I would put him in top three pro- natural finishers alongside probably Greenwood and Kane for me. I think he's that good, um, and at that price as well, it, it, he's cheap as chips. Um, and like you say. You know, it's always going to be difficult to replace Grealish. Um, but Danny Ings can get you goals from ridiculous places. So you don't even necessarily need someone to create those chances for you. And obviously, Watkins is quite versatile, as, as we've seen over the years. He can play as a wide forward if he needs to. He can play behind if he needs to. He can play as part of a two. And I think once Watkins kind of comes up um, back to fitness and, and the two possibly start together, it could be a really good kind of duo and, and partnership that they develop um, in the Midlands, uh, I just thought that it was very out of nowhere as well, the, the Ing signing. It was, I didn't even see interested. It was just, it's happened. And it still looks weird, him, in a Villa shirt. But I mean, what a signing it was. And if you're going to use 100 million that you're going to get, why not spend a quarter of it on one of the best finishes in the league? Yeah. yeah. I, sorry, here you go. It's all right, Nathan, you can go. Uh, thank you. I, you know, I love Danny Ings. As, as a Liverpool fan, I thought, you know, he was such a promising player for us. Unfortunately, injuries kind of killed him off during his time here. But I thought it would have been perfect for, for us and for, for our system um, under Klopp. But unfortunately, injuries got the better of him. But in a, in a system that is less press-heavy than you're getting, in my opinion, probably one of the better strikers in the Premier League and someone that is probably, I mean, underrated, maybe not so much anymore, but definitely someone that used to go under the radar as, as a striker. And I mean, again, it's just an exciting time for Villa. I mean, that they're probably a few few players off being a team that realistically could compete higher up than just for the Conference League places. Yeah, no, um, I mean, I might as well say it. He's my second place as well. So, you know, we're keeping the treble. We always say the same players. But 
Yeah, no, it, it, I, you just can't overlook it, to be honest with you. I, I think I'd be shocked, to be honest, if Nathan, I'm shocked that if you haven't this is, you don't have him in your top three because he is just an amazing capture for, for Aston Villa. And it's not often that a team loses a big player, gets a big you know, amount of money in and spend it so wisely. And I think Aston Villa have done amazing in this transfer window with the money that they've done. Um, and, you know, you, you can't replace Grealish or you look elsewhere. And, you know, we talked about the other day about West Ham's lack of depth up front. And I, I didn't really realise it until looking a bit yesterday about the lack of depth that Aston Villa probably had up front until they signed Danny Ings. Obviously, you had Watkins, but, you know, he's not necessarily the out-and-out striker. You have Bertrand Traore up there, but he's not necessarily, you know, getting going to get you those goals. So they were crying out for someone, to be honest, which I didn't even realise, you know, it didn't really, it wasn't obvious that they needed a striker, but to be fair, they probably did. Um, and what a striker they've got in Danny Ings. And, you know, he's already, you know, proven to be worth the outlay with the amount of goals he's already getting. Yeah, OK, a penalty here and there, but take the goals when you can get them. And it's just a great signing. I can't really say anything more because Kieran, you know, just did a massive bit of praise for him. But yeah, an amazing, amazing signing for him. And, you know, talk about Buendia, that, that link-up could be, you know, exceptional this season. Yeah, he's not in my top three. I'll be honest, I felt obviously the Buendia one was probably more integral to Aston Villa than than the Ings one, just in terms of creativity and Watkins being there. Watkins is a goal scorer now. You know, that two seasons now, he's got over 15, I think. Or I, it was close to that last season and we've obviously smashed it for Brentford in the Championship. But for me, second place, again, it's something we've already talked about. Rafael Varane to, to Man United. I, I wasn't sure which Man United sign I was going to put in, him or Sancho, because they're both very good signings. But I, I decided Varane in terms of what United needed more, as we were saying, needed a defender and you know, we'll, they'll be hoping that he can have a similar effect to, to Van Dijk and Diaz. And, we, you know, and having someone like Maguire alongside you, I mean, that's the good defender to have. It's better than, than Stones and it's better than um, what it was Lovren or Matip at the time at Liverpool when, when those two other players arrived. So it could be a really interesting time. And it, the only worry is, I mean, we say it all the time, it's the defensive midfielder might force and might kind of expose that, that back four a little bit, not because of lack of quality, just because of you know the openness and forwards fullbacks pushing forward and stuff so but I, United can't argue with, with someone of the pedigree of Rafael Varane and yes yeah, a great start you can't argue I think with the price tag either I mean I know yeah. he's going into the final 12 months and you, you saw in this winter that Real Madrid were doing 170 million pounds for a player yeah in the they final almost went for, so uh, I think it was 36 million pounds for you know a world World Cup winner, a Champions League winner, someone that's been there, done it all for 36 million pounds. That is not only one of the best, or could be you know like you said, second best of the window. It's probably you know one of the best for money in this transfer window. So yeah, I mean I didn't add him. I really wanted to. I was very. I, it was a hard battle with my own mind to not put him there. But yeah, great, great player, and I'm looking very forward to seeing that partnership with Maguire. I got a feeling we've all got the first, <laughs> the first players to say one. Well, yeah, I got a feeling, but Kieran, if you want to take but it away, we've all got the same number one. If, I it think is, so. if it is, just raise your hand as soon as he says it. Lukaku. So. <laughs> 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 hey, hey, let's be honest, right? I'll keep mine brief so I give you something to do. But this is how I see it. Without a striker, Chelsea won the Champions League, and I think they'd finish top four again. With a world-class striker, it's their league to lose. I'll let you. I mean, I was literally just going to say the same thing. I put him in there. There was a lot of good signings in this transfer window, but I put him in there because I thought if any player is going to have the impact, and I don't think there's any bigger impact than winning the title. Now, that man is going to bring that title to Stamford Bridge. It's as simple as that. That's why he's number one. I mean, you see it with title-winning teams. I mean, there's always often with teams that are coming towards that, there's, there's players they need. There's just a few players. Liverpool, Van Dijk and Alisson. 
when once they were bought, people like, yeah, Liverpool going for it. I mean, they had that 98 point season where they didn't win it. When Man City bought in Diaz, I mean, maybe not everyone was seeing it straight away, but as soon as everyone realised, right, okay, City are very serious this year, they're going to win the league this year. And I think Lukaku was that man for, for Chelsea, I think. Watching that, and then that point against Liverpool is so important now. I mean, he had a quite a quiet game, I believe, but he, he just, I mean, it's that hole, that hole in the team that you need to fill. And he's that man. Timo Werner, as good as he is as a creative player, he's not an out-and-out striker in terms of his goal output. And, you know, who else would they have to go there? So Lukaku, I mean, it's just some real bit of business. And regardless of the fee, he's, he's just, just probably is the best striker in, in the world, arguably, you know, in terms of maybe Haaland and Mbappe are up there with him. But he's definitely top three. And I forgot about Lewandowski and Gay, actually. He's definitely top five. <laughs> got to be probably, in my mind, the best. But, yeah, we all get where you're coming from. He's, he's definitely good. top five. And, and someone in terms of in England, he probably is the best striker in England, outside of Harry Kane, of course. But Look And it could have been a different window. Kira was fuming there. He was like, hey, Kane. <laughs> yeah, remembering players I was speaking. <laughs> yeah, it's a great side. I mean, look, it's fair a full house here to say Lukaku so I mean that speaks for itself to be honest um, but yeah it's quite scary and to be honest for a player that played Manchester United and he was so underwhelming at times you know he's still got like probably 20 goals a season which is a great return but for me you know at Man United he didn't live up to the expectation and I was really looking forward to seeing him against Liverpool and obviously the red card kind of ruined the game and he kept falling over the ball but I'm sure that was a one-off um, he scored in the first, his second debut at the club so I'm sure it'll be yeah. I think I think, yeah, I think with Lukaku, it's as his first goal showed, he's just going to get you goals. He's going to get you goals and get you up the pitch, not by his dribbling, because I think that's arguably where, you know, he, he lacks a bit of, not ability, because, I mean, he's a pro footballer and he's fantastic, but that's kind of the, the area. But hold up play, aerial duels, strength, finishing, all of that, it ticks so many boxes. So if you get him the ball with his back to goal, I would put, heavy money on a guarantee that he would be able to turn any defender he just has that ability and I think his time at Inter has made him like almost realise but humbly how good he is because I, I saw in his interview with Chelsea that you know he said that he took some time to kind of reflect and he just seems like a different kind of different person and a different kind of animal now genuinely and that's why I put him to I think he's going to become top scorer because in that Chelsea team the amount of times you were thinking oh my Pulisic has missed that chance. Ziyech has missed that. Werner's missed that chance. Lukaku, if he has the chances, he's gonna he's he's gonna score that header against Arsenal that Leno somehow managed to save. Nine out of ten times that goes in. You know, um, he's probably played against one of the better defenses in the league in Liverpool at the weekend. Bearing in mind it was just him up there as well, and he still was able to handle himself quite well. So you know, against your your lower kind of teams, I'd expect him to be getting braces and hat-tricks. And then the defensive side of Chelsea is more reliant on how they get their points against the bigger teams, I think, because I think they do probably have the most organised, maybe not on paper best defence, but if I'm backing any team to keep a clean sheet or keep chances at limited, I think it's got to be Chelsea. Yeah, I think an important thing for Lukaku as well was when he, he kind of got leaned in. Man United, he was a big guy. He wasn't like obviously out of shape or anything, but he was big. He was very clearly kind of kind of more like a weightlifter kind of build than, than a footballer. And he, at Inter, it just seemed like he, he got leaner and he became just a different player to play against. Just, I mean, I can't imagine trying to defend against Lugaku, you know, just so strong, quick. I mean, Pablo Mari found out the hard way that 
it's not easy to defend against this guy. And he's, yeah, he's definitely going to cause problems. But it was a big fee and big fees come at risk. And that moves on to our next one. Who, who do you think is the riskiest transfer? Now, this isn't necessarily an indictment upon the player. It isn't necessarily, this player's terrible. He's, he's a risk. They should never have paid it. It's just saying, you've spent some money here or, or whatever it, the criteria is. You spent, you may have spent a bit of money here. It might not work out the, the way you want it to. I mean, we'll have to see. Oli, we'll start with you. Who do you think is the riskiest transfer didn't want this window? Me, but... <laughs> I was going to say, he did not. <laughs> I've got, I've got, wait, I've got one, two, three, four. I've got five names down. Do you want me? I'll kick off if you want. Um, yeah. <laughs> where's Lizzie? Hopefully, you, hopefully you'll um, take one of mine and make my choice easier. I mean, look, I, I, this is a risk because definitely because of the financial outlay that they're putting on in the wage wage department. I, I just think it is a bit of a, it's, it's a weird one for me. I think this is a risk, but not at the same time. And I know it's most risky, but I couldn't really think of anyone. The only other player that came to mind was Jack Grealish. But I think that's more a risk for a player than, than the club. Um, whereas the risky one, United have spent a lot of money here on, on Cristiano Ronaldo. And I don't know whether... What? I, it's a risk. One, two, three, four. I had five players. He wasn't even on there. You took none of them. <laughs> oh, you're a disgrace. You're a disgrace. <laughs> I, I, look, Cristiano Ronaldo set to become the highest paid Premier League player in, in history and you know United can afford that that's you know they're not they can afford that but my opinion on where this becomes a risk is because you're getting a fantastic player you're getting the second best player in the world you know towards the end of his career but I mean he's still so good and he's, he's such a winner and this could turn out to be brilliant and it's the whole point of risks you know no risk no reward you could get a, a reward in a Premier League title a Champions League an FA Cup a trophy for sure if you have Ronaldo firing on all cylinders there's a lot of financial outlay there and my worry is with this risk, it's more of a case of United haven't strengthened necessarily where they had to strengthen, which was defensive midfield. And because of so much money has gone on Ronaldo, Can I just say I one struggle. Thing? That's just, you're just wrong. I just jumped in. Yeah, no, <laughs> you can talk about the fact we haven't signed a position that we necessarily needed, but financially, you're just wrong. There's already been one million new followers to our social media accounts. Well, our stock. How much money do you get paid? How, for that? how much money? How much money do you get paid for that? Our stock, Manchester United stock, has gone up incredible amounts. One of the biggest increases in the stock market. Okay. Manchester United have got over fans. That is kits. That is shirt sales. Man United are going to make Why so much money. Man United not going to get three points at the weekend. So, no, and no, shirt no, sales no. don't make clubs that much. No, 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 no. You are you are buying Kieran. into the Glazers' bullshit. Do <laughs> I just say there? You're arguing my point for me. I'm not denying it's not the position we need, but I'm arguing the point from uh, Nathan that it's financially wrong. It's not financially. I said it was wrong. I said it's a risk. It's, it's, it's not a risk financially because the money we're going to bring in for bringing someone like Ronaldo is incredible. Same with Pogba. We've got back, basically. We, we made a profit of Pogba because of the amount of sales and stuff we did all that. Ronaldo is going to absolutely smash that amount of money that we spend on him. Yeah, okay, yeah. If we're going to spend money on him. But the money we get from him is incredible. Whether or not he performs on that pitch or not, we're going to get a profit off of that player. You, you literally listen to my words now. We're already making a profit off of him. The stock exchange has gone crazy. Firstly, Man United Football Club are a football team. They're not Bitcoin, you know. It doesn't matter what their stocks are saying. It doesn't matter how much they're increasing. Done, Secondly, Juventus spent 100 million on Cristiano Ronaldo. How much they made back through shirt sales? 5 million. You know, shirt sales and, and stuff like that do not guarantee profit. Did Juventus did not make a profit on Cristiano Ronaldo. 100 million new um, followers on social media within an Oli, hour. Yeah, name that, one that. person that's been paid for followers. 
Name what? one person who gets paid for no, no, followers. No, 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 no one gets paid for followers. Followers aren't going to get you points so, on a pitch. You're speaking so naively, man. Is, is Ben Foster the best goalkeeper in the league? He's got the most subs. You get supporters, you get shirt sales. It's a literal. Don't make clubs profit. You just Juventus. Juventus obviously when Ronaldo joined. Juventus made a lot of lot of followers. They got a lot of followers. They got a lot of things, but they didn't make a profit on Ronaldo because it was only five million from shirt sales. A lot of Juventus, a lot of shirt sales Juventus, go to the company. Juventus are not company. Juventus are not Manchester United. They may be more successful in football at the moment, but they are not the household <laughs> of Manchester United. Paul, Man United won't make a profit. Paul Pogba joined Man United for an ex- for eighty nine million pounds, I think. Now Man United made a profit off of Paul Pogba because of the sales and the revenues we brought in because of having that type of player at our club. Cristiano Ronaldo, oh. a legend of that club, is going to bring in. So so much money, okay? I guarantee you within the next two months, you will see that Man United have made incredible shirt sales because of Cristiano Ronaldo. Now, if I can argue the point, yes, that he wasn't necessarily a player we needed because I agree with that. We needed a central midfielder, a CDM, someone to win that ball, to, you know, give protection to our defence. But if you're saying this is a financial risk for Manchester United, you have no clue about finances because this player is going to bring the money back on him by himself. Okay. He won't. I I'll tell you this now. He won't. And the players on the pitch. I cannot. I cannot sure sit here and believe you're telling me that it's a he financial won't. risk. It is not a financial risk. It is a financial risk. It's it is. Not. He won't bring that back because again, it's a lot no of the profits you're that. talking about. Who Ollie, are you that? in the boardroom? You are not. So Dude, what are you talking it's, about? It's already been. <laughs> you know the same been, as me. It's already been released. They made a profit in a day. Already going to make. No, where? Send me the link. BBC post. What? Send me the link. Let's look look for the link now. I'm not saying the link now. When people listen, they can search. Oh, right. You're so I naive. Am. You're so naive. So profit. Anyway, let me carry on with what I was saying. So, obviously, it's a financial risk for Man United. With signing Ronaldo, they probably won't bring in Haaland. They probably won't bring in a hold midfielder, which are players they need. Because a lot of outlay is going on Ronaldo. Regardless of whether Manchester United will make money, no one's saying it will go into the playing budget. Glazers take a lot of money from Manchester United every year. And that is true. That is fact. They also don't put that all in the budget. Football clubs do not put every single bit of money they got into the budget. United don't, don't do it. Liverpool don't do it. Probably Spurs probably don't do it either. A lot of clubs don't. The, the, unfortunately, with bringing in someone like Ronaldo, who is a fantastic player and will certainly give them a lot and make them very good, also run the risk of not strengthening your team enough to win the Premier League title, not bringing in a hold of midfielder, not bringing in, you know, Someone like Haaland who could be the striker for the next couple of years. I don't think United will get him now. I think he'll end up somewhere else. You know, it, it's a, it, again, no risk, no reward. Ronaldo coming in could be a great thing. You know, they might make some money that they can give to Adidas or whoever makes their kits. They can get, they might make money to, to build a new stand. They might make money to put some new training facilities. But in terms of the money that will provide new players and that sort of money, I don't see it. I don't, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of wage outlay in terms of these clubs have strict budgets they stick to. They don't. You know, they don't go right. We're gonna all the money goes into the budget. So I just, I just worry that I don't worry. I don't care. But <laughs> I, I think United, you know, they they could have. I mean, they've signed the second best player in the world. But in terms of building a team, it's a very Real Madrid type Galactico signing. Regard in terms, of, not like a systematic signing. So we'll see. I mean, look, Ronaldo will make United some money. Whether they make it back, probably not. But they will, they will make money off it they'll get people to come in I mean you don't get paid followers but they'll get some more followers they'll and you know and then but they're still gonna get done on the counter-attack they probably won't I mean it all kind of depends on Mason Greenwood's development I think in terms of the Harlem thing because it could wind up you don't even need him because Greenwood's just so good 
But you know, it's also you will will it stunt some growth of, of some of the attacking players in the team because you can't not play it. But so it's so it's it's a risky one, and that's the whole point. You know, no risk, no reward, as I keep saying. But it is a risky one. I'll say the last. I'll say my last words on that. I completely agree that we should have um, probably focused our attention towards a different position. I'm not going to argue that. I've said my piece on the whole financial part of it, and whatever people say, you know what? I, it, it's true. We're probably going to make a profit on him. You're right. Whether or not that goes back into the team is no question. But there's no doubt we're not going to make a profit off of Cristiano Ronaldo. In terms of the Haaland thing, I still think we could get Haaland. I, I honestly do. Um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has been in contact with Haaland since his uh, days coaching him. Um, and, you know, and he's been in contact with him recently. Now, I don't think Manchester United would have done this signing if they could not make signings you know, in January or in the next window. Man United will sign players in the next window. They will spend more than £70 million next summer. So there's no doubt that Man United will have the money to sign Haaland. Whether or not they do or not, or whether or not he wants to go to Man United is a different question. Whether or not they'll have the funds to do it, they probably will. In terms of the player development, I completely agree. Greenwood probably needs to be playing as a main striker. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer has already said in a press conference that Cristiano Ronaldo's modern-day position is that sort of centre-forward. Um, he plays in the middle, so Greenwood is not going to play there. Is it going to halt his development on the pitch? Yes. Is it going to halt the development of young players coming through United's academy? No. Cristiano Ronaldo is a person that not only will bring stuff on the pitch, but he will bring, just like Ibrahimovic and Cavani, he will develop the youth players and the players already at Man United, whether or not they're young or not. So he's going to help develop the players like Greenwood. If anything, this could be a massive help. Ronaldo is going to be there at Man United for a season, two seasons now. I think he signed a two-year deal. Greenwood is still very young. Yes, okay, he probably does need to be playing there if you have the ideal thing to play in the middle of that pitch. But if you can have him next to Ronaldo to learn off of each other, but then in two years' time to him be that leading striker, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. But yeah. Okay. <laughs> Back down okay. to earth. Just briefly on that, I for one, even as a rival fan, can't wait to see Ronaldo in the Premier League again. That's yeah, very yeah. exciting. I think we were all a bit. Not young, but we were all, we weren't blissfully aware quite how good he was. I cried. Um, I cried. Yeah, I suppose you probably did, but I, I didn't. It was more of a, oh, wow, he is actually that good. Um, I think maybe not risky. I think it's a bit of a reactionary signing. Um, just because City showed interest that United did. I think if City didn't show interest, I don't know if we'd be having this conversation right now. But, I mean, who knows? Um I almost don't want to move on because I don't think we're going to have quite the same level of debate about my uh, my risky signing. So my player, uh, I kept it quiet while the debate was going on. Um, but Nathan, uh, I've actually agreed. No, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. We're not doing that again. <laughs> this might be a bit more of a agreeable um, risky signing. Um, so for me, um, even though Arsenal have... You some could say have had a decent recruitment window. Um, some of the signings have been a bit iffy, um, and I've gone for one of them. Um, the one that looked like it was happening, then broke down, then accelerated to like another level. Um, so I've gone for Aaron Ramsdale. I just think that, uh, to be fair to him, at Bournemouth, he looked good. Uh, um, you know, I think he was the under-21s keeper at the time. Um, he was having some good performances and he was making a lot of saves because obviously that was the year Bournemouth went down. 
Um, and, I, and I thought, yeah, fair enough. I think he deserves a move to a Premier League club. When Sheffield United signed him after losing um, Dean Henderson back to Man United, you're thinking, it's a great signing. But the cracks just sort of started, started to show last season. And there was a few moments where his control and leadership in the box went missing. His shot stopping kind of got worse. His decision making, his handling was all a bit kind of 50-50. And so you think, you know, go back in the championship, kind of recoup yourself and with Sheffield United and go from there. But now he's at a club where, you know, the demands are probably quite bigger. Um, especially when I don't imagine Ramsdale's looking to be second choice either. You know, you've got Bert Leno there as well, who's also a very good keeper. So not only is it a risk because it throws into what might happen to Leno now, who I think is probably better than Ramsdale, um, it also kind of doesn't make a lot of sense in terms of financially and the structure of his wages and the fee paid. And, you know, you look at the, the three keepers, the last three that have played for Arsenal, the best one's Aston Villa. You know, Emi Martinez, you know, I think that, that selling him was ludicrous. I'd have, he, he clearly wanted first-team football, and therefore I'd have made him the number one. I just think it's a risk paying that level of money um, for someone who's probably either going to sit on the bench or force another keeper to sit on the bench who's good enough to be in the first team, you know, when there's many, many places you could have spent that money more wisely. Um, it could pay off. He could you know, don the gloves as the number one and become very good. But just judging by last season, I just don't think it's a very good signing. It probably is a bit of a risk for them. From Man yeah. and Ronaldo, sorry, Nathan, saying that I was saying how that was going to make a profit. I don't think this one's going to make a profit at <laughs> that all. That sounds booming. Um, <laughs> um, in terms of Leno, I don't rate him. I think he's too, you know, unreliable. I mean, we're talking about Ramzo here as well. So, you know, maybe this can be voicing for both of these players but I think Leno you never know what he's going to do one minute he might be really good the next minute he could do something absolutely crazy and be at fault for, for it so I don't think he's uh, a good enough goalie to be Arsenal's number one well, actually the bottom of the league he probably is to be honest <laughs> um, he probably shouldn't be good enough for it but in terms of Ramso I think I think this is why risky is the best term instead of we haven't done a bad signing. Risky really does fit this because I honestly do think Ramsdale's got the potential to be a really, really good goalkeeper. I mean, he showed it at Bournemouth, you know, he showed it at glimpses at Sheffield United. He was in a very bad Sheffield United team in that, you know, in the relegation season that he was there. Um, and now he's gone to a very bad Arsenal team, so probably not the best move for him. But I think it's, I, I think it is a risky one in terms of Willett. It was a lot of money. The outlay was a lot uh, for a player that you know has had two relegations. Similar to what I said about Kabak, to be honest with you know, it, you don't really want to sign a player with that sort of reputation. Um, but I honestly do think if it goes right, it could be a great signing for Arsenal. But that's the risk. No risk, no reward, like uh, Nathan was saying earlier. So. You know, it, it, it risky does, you know, it does hit this on the head perfectly. I mean, I think it sums up a lot of Arsenal business um, this season. It's kind of been that sort of, hey, you probably could have spent that a bit better, but eh, it's not a bad one. Kind of, that's how I felt about a lot of them. Ben White, 50 million. I mean, you could have spent that money better, but Ben White could turn out and has all the potential to be one of the best centre-backs in England. You know, Aaron Ramsdale also has the potential to be England's number one in the future. I mean, Say we, we saw at Bournemouth, we saw glimpses at Sheffield United. I mean, he was fantastic in an early career out alone. So, I mean, there's a, there's a player there and there's a goalkeeper there, seemingly, by looks like he's a good character, you know, someone that seems to be willing to learn and it hasn't got like a big ego or anything attached to him. So, it'll be interesting to see how, how he develops. But yeah, 
I think, again, it's risky because Arsenal probably could have spent that money better on a position they need more. I mean, Leno's not the best keeper in the world. He's better than what Arsenal have at centre-back and what Arsenal have at left. Well, actually, I have very good left-back. What Arsenal have at right-back and what Arsenal have in midfield. So there, there's areas where Arsenal, Arsenal probably should have spent that money in the same way probably could have done better with, with their finances. You know, they probably shouldn't have started the window saying, we've got lots of money to spend because that means every club's going to look at them and go, right, OK, we'll spend it. You know, so that they were kind of they kind of screwed themselves back from a summer pass in in recent years. Do you think we would be scrutinising this transfer as heavily if they hadn't let someone of the quality of Martinez leave for so cheap? Um, you know, the season before? Because I mean, I think most of the people are just getting annoyed at that, saying we've let a goalkeeper go for what? What was it like? Ten million pounds? Eight million pounds? Something it wasn't like that. A lot, yeah, it wasn't... yeah, it was very cheap. Someone of that quality who probably is, you know, one of the best goalkeepers in the Premier League at the moment to then go and spend triple that on a player that has had two relegations and hasn't so far lived up to the, to you know the the potential that people have labelled him so I think if if you took Martinez out of it I think the fans would probably be a lot more a lot happier but um yeah it was 20 million so it's still a decent amount 20 million was how much Villa paid but for, is, that from you know, is that with add-ons that was that was the fee 20 million I mean that even 20 million that like they'll not maybe get it back in a financial way, but they'll get it back in terms of the performances and where they're going to finish in the league. You know, having a goalkeeper like Martinez, you know, will put them in the positions to earn a lot of prize money, a lot of TV money. So, I mean, that proves to be a great sign. And yeah, we, of course, we wouldn't be having this conversation if Martinez was still there because they'd have a very good number one. But I mean, in, in sort of typical Arsenal, they've, they've had a bit of a stinker and ended up with, with someone not as good as, as their number one goalkeeper. They've got like two number 1.5s is how I would describe yeah. <laughs> they're, they're better than being number twos, but I don't really look at either of them as key, pure number ones. I think both of them can be, absolutely. Leno, I think, early Arsenal career was very, very good. Um, but like Ollie said, a good way of putting it, sometimes you don't necessarily know what you're going to get um, with Leno. So I think there's, there's two good keepers there. And actually, the arrival of Ramsdale, he could then enjoy the competition with Leno and that could raise Leno's ability so I mean we could be looking at it and you know Arsenal might have had a bad season but they might win the Golden Glove you never know <laughs> not without defence <laughs> maybe maybe with oh wait Golden Glove yeah no that's clean sheets isn't it yeah no scratch that I was going to say save I was going to say hey yeah with that defence they could win the one for saves <laughs> anyway, I'll, get, I'll go on to my one um, probably someone that you're going to be a bit surprised about maybe because it's not a risk. He is a good... It is a risk. I just want to say it is a risk because it's a risky player, but it's yeah, not a risk in terms of the talent that this player has. It's, it's not like necessarily like, you know, Ramsdale that's a bit, you know, still not lived up to it. This player was a very good centre-back at his previous club, but he's now moved for, I think, a £16 million fee. But this club is, is one of their highest at their club, I think. And, you know, it's a player that I don't think is going to be happy just to sit on the bench. Yeah, OK, he's probably got a good six months or so, eight months in the first team football. But after that, where does he stand? Mine's Vestergaard to, um, to Leicester. Um, he's a player that did very, he's done very well at Southampton. I think Tottenham were linked with him and I thought that would have been a, a very Spurs sort of transfer. Um, but he's a player that I think, you know, is a very good centre-back. Um, don't look annoyed. You know, you you're not supposed to. I think. I think. I think he's a very good, a very good centre back. But for Leicester to fork out money, they normally spend it very wisely. And for me, they normally spend it on something that's going to impact their first team for a long time to come. Sixty million pounds for Leicester for a player that next season probably won't start that many, you know, games because you know, so you choose not going anywhere, and then Fofana is going to come back in. 
I mean, I think it's just a lot of money to come out. And for Vestergaard, it's, I think it's more risky on his part than the club, really, because he's not going to want to sit on the bench. And I can't see them just letting their £16 million transfer go next summer. So I think it's, it's a shock one. I know you're probably going to be like, why have I said this? But I think for him, it's risky for his career. And I think for Leicester, you know, I think £60 million. They have Johnny Evans there. I think they probably could have bought for a youth player or got a loanee signing in. I think that money just could have been spent better elsewhere. I mean, Leicester have had... Yeah, sorry, Kieran. Yeah. I, no, I just, I just wanted to say, I mean, Leicester's depth defensively um, probably isn't the best. I think they a lot of last season, they liked playing a back five. They can't do that currently because they don't have enough fit centre-backs. So... I think the arrival of Vestergaard is massive. Fafana, you know, no, no disrespect. It's not like it's a minor knee injury. He's broken his leg. You know, you're looking at a long time out on the sidelines. Johnny, Even, Johnny Evans, sorry, isn't getting any younger. Um, Soyuncu, more recently, with, you know, someone in Amati who's kind of a centre-mid converted centre-back, he hasn't looked as strong, I'd say. Um, so I think Vestergaard brings a certain level of calmness confidence you know he's 29 years old um he's very versatile as well he likes to bring the ball out from the back he can do that kind of role i just think for 60 million pounds it's 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 a pretty good signing you know for that kind of money for for a center back who's not necessarily going to go right into the first team but he's going to be there he's going to be reliable and you know i think i think people kind of forget that you know sometimes you need squad depth and you know he's going to be that first player to call on if whoever the, the partnership going forward is, if they do decide to go with that back three again, you know, Johnny Evans, I don't necessarily probably will sign another contract at Leicester. I th- I don't, I'm not sure how long he's got left, but he struggled with injuries recently. So if they do revert to that back five, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, down the line, we do see Vestergaard on the left of that um, with Suyuncu and Fafana kind of next to him. But I mean, that, I, I think it's a great signing. Yeah, you said about the money there, I just want to say, if you're looking at a team like Man United or Chelsea or Liverpool or Spurs or anyone like that, £16 million for a centre-back is not a big outlay at all for the signs they make. But for Leicester, £16 million, you look at their transfers, they don't spend a big amount of money on each player. £16 million for Leicester is a big spend for them. Most of their players are around the £20 million mark. So I'm just saying, for me, there was no real interest in getting a centre-back at Leicester, at Leicester until they had that long-term injury. And obviously, you're going to go into the market and do something. But for me, the risk is mostly 80% on Vestergaard's part. He wasn't in their plans because he wasn't going to be bought up until the injury. Yeah, OK, he's probably out for eight months. But come next season, if they do do a centre-back pairing of two, is Vestergaard going to be in that starting lineup? I don't see it. This is a risk on his career. He's chose to go to Leicester, and the next season he could be left in the shadow. So for me, yeah, okay, you know, it's it's a good signing for them at the moment. But sixty million pounds signing could be a bench player for his career. I, I think it's a risk. I think he's a great player, but I think it's a risk. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I don't think it. I think you're kind of right, and kind of, you know, it's kind of that fifty-fifty on it. Really, it is definitely a risk. The best guy, he was very comfortable at Southampton. Probably could have got a move. I think he didn't have long left on his deal. Hence why it's sixteen million, not like thirty or. But he, you know, he'll probably he could have got a move to, to maybe a foreign club and with a bit more um, sort of thing, a bit more like game time and, and that Europa League, Champions League guarantee because he's a good defender. But I don't, I don't know, it's 16 million for Leicester isn't a lot anymore considering you're dealing with a team that are now regularly in Europe. You know, they're regularly challenging the top four. They probably should have finished top four two years in a row. They bottled it each time, and that probably comes down to a bit of lack of depth. And 
while yeah, it is a risk. I think there there are riskier ones. I think Romero for Tottenham is is a bit of a risk in terms of the outlay outlay for him. I mean, obviously he's you have to give players time to adjust but in terms of first impressions. He's not made necessarily a good one. Um, and there's Ben White again, as I said, it, that kind of fits that more. But you know, I think a lot of transfers are risks for the players because they're, they're going somewhere unknown. Grealish, I've kind of feel in a similar way. Obviously, Grealish is very very good. But you know, if you have a bad couple of games in that Man City team, you're on the bench and you're, and you're working for your way. Back in that team, and I think it could be the same with Vestergaard. He's good enough to play, and if you know, Sorrentino carries on the way he is, you know, I mean, I, I don't know whether he'll still be first team. He's been absolutely woeful in the in the past week or so. So you know, as, as long as Sorrentino recovers to his form, and I think to be fair to Vestergaard, he had some bad Leicester had some bad, but he, he came in when Leicester needed a centre back, and he got injured almost straight away. So you know, who knows? I think Vestergaard could be a good signing for Leicester, and especially considering they play Europe now, and you know, them Thursday nights they're going to need players, and they're going to need to put. You know, if they maybe their best way of qualifying for the Champions League is through the Europa League and, and winning in that, so it could turn out to be a great again. It's a risk, isn't it? It could be a great sign. It could turn out to be not so good a sign. Yeah, it could be a good sign, <laughs> but it's a risk in some parts of it. So yeah, I think but, yeah, I think you were right, Ollie, by saying it's maybe more of a risk for the player than the club necessarily. I think if, if Vestergaard isn't your first choice option, there he's a great depth choice to have as well. And like Nathan mentioned, with the you know, Thursday, Sunday schedule that Leicester are likely to have. So I'd imagine they'll probably get out of their group. Um, it's going to be pretty tough on what is, you know, a, a relatively medium-sized squad. It's just defensively, you know, those injuries, as Nathan would know, um, at the back can, can really do you some harm. Um, so I, I think, I, I, I'd, I'd hope that, you know, Vestergaard, I think the good thing about Vestergaard is, um, is you don't need to worry about the kind of adapt time as such. You know, some players do struggle to adapt to the living here and the league. But, you know, for Vestergaard, it's just kind of a move up north. Um, he's been in the Premier League for years now. And that's maybe the risk you don't want to take by bringing in a younger player who's maybe got some sort of potential and certain amount of years left on his deal. So you're looking at more money. But when a player who's very good in his position has Premier League experience at like a, a very good level. For £16 million, I think you can't go wrong with it. Definitely. And, and you know, I mean, it's been, a, it's been a decent window for Leicester, been a good window for Leicester. But who has had the best window in the Premier League? You know, I'll, I'll take the floor with this one. I'm not sure if many can argue. I mean, they, as we've spoken already about how they probably missed out on one, one position they really needed. But... Manchester United for me have, have had the, probably the best window in in the Premier League this summer. You know they've brought they've addressed some positions some positions that they needed and they've really added quality to, to those positions. I do have a second place one, but I'll, I'll let that just in case that gets mentioned. But I'll leave it till till the end for that. But I just can't. You know they've brought in such quality, and I think United obviously like we spoke about Ronaldo. And if let's say Oli's right and, and they produce a, a big budget for next season, you know United are could be could be close to building sort of like a dynasty team, you know, once they strengthen those positions that really strengthen the team that could definitely, you know, it should be up there now, but a team that could really set the tone for the Premier League. And questions still remain over the manager and whether he, they, he can bring that squad to, to what they deserve, but or what they what they should have not deserved. They have to earn it on, on the pitch, but I think United have had the best window this time. Yeah, it's, I mean, as a Man United fan, it's been a great window um, obviously, there's still, you know, certain positions that it would have been nice to get. I mean, when this comes out, it'll all be, you know, done and dusted. But for now, anything could happen in the last couple of hours. Um, but I mean, 
unlikely with you know the new Brexit rules foreign players coming in normally take around 36 hours to get done at the moment so it's unlikely that any players like that will come in but Manchester United what a window Cristiano Ronaldo returning Sancho Varane you know these are all quality world-class players yes and what (laughs) Tom Heaton as well come on Sorry, sorry, Tom Heaton. And Tommy. Actually, I'm a big fan of Tommy. Heaton. Tommy is. He's a good um, player to have around, I reckon. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Sancho's not at the best of start. Hasn't really got going yet, but it means he's had two sub appearances and one start. So, I mean, it, you know, you can't judge him too quickly. Baran, you know, you saw the quality he had and Cristiano Ronaldo. Well, well, he's Cristiano Ronaldo. So, there's no doubt that he will probably do well. But, yeah, as a Manchester United fan, it's been a, a really fun window, a good window, um, and, and a surprising window as well, to be honest, to actually get deals kind of wrapped up fairly quickly and you know that main uh, the Cristiano Ronaldo one kind of speaks for Sancho us. Wanted, yeah. You what? Yeah. yeah do, 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 in this window it was yeah. done quickly. Yeah okay we had the back work you know all the bricks in place but like the Ronaldo one done very quickly but I just want to say on the Ronaldo one football fans we are known for being fickle all right we're very naive and we're very you know we our head switches one place or other we cannot forget this whether or not this is true or not, if it is true and Ronaldo was seriously considering going to Man City, that is still a massive negative for me. You know, if he even considered it for a minute, that still makes me, you know, a bit annoyed at him. So I just want to say, Ronaldo, if you're listening to our podcast, you know, amazing. I'm <laughs> sure he's upset. To love, I love you. Um, why do you consider Man City? But yeah, no, I'm not going to argue with the, that. Uh, the argument earlier and he's just carrying on watching things. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, I'll get on to my team in a minute after Kieran's as I did say, but mine is not Manchester United. But yeah, they've had a great window. Um, yeah, Manchester United had a good window. If you signed a DM, it'd be a great window. But um, I'm still unsure. I still don't know. I've got three teams here. Um Ollie, do you want to give me one? Yeah, do you want to do one? <laughs> mine's, mine's a shocking one, and their, and their transfer window probably is done and dusted now, but they could still bring in a centre-back, which would make it an insane window. Um, and mine's Chelsea. Um, I've said this for, for a reason more so than Lukaku. Lukaku, yeah, has been brought in, and like we've said, he's the number one signing, so that's going to have a massive impact on me saying Chelsea for the number one in the terms of the team. They haven't really made any other signings, to be honest, for the first one, apart from Lukaku, but Lukaku is an amazing sign that could bring them the uh, the title and maybe the Champions League, you know, back-to-back, which would be amazing for them. My other reason is the buyback clauses in the players they have sold. So smart business. Abraham going out, obviously, that the right-back or whatever at Southampton, they've sold yeah. players... They've made a lot of money. I think they've made nearly £100 million in departures this transfer window, all with buyback clauses in, which means they could sign these future world-class players on a very cheap side of it. So for me, you know, I thought could quite easily look at Man United, quite easily look at, you know, other teams. I'm not going to name them in case, you know, uh, the people said, but we've said, obviously, about certain teams of buying a lot of players and all being good ones. But for me... It's the, you know, the thought and the initiative that Chelsea have taken in this window. They've signed players that they need to sign. Obviously, they could still sign Koundé. Probably won't because it doesn't look like they want to pay the release clause. But Lukaku up front probably takes that team to title-winning material or definitely takes a title-winning material. And for me, they have to be hands-on favourites, even though it's been, what, three games in. But for me, it's also the buyback clause and the intelligence that that board's done. That is probably the one of the most, you know, smartest recruitment team in the Premier League and in the world with what they're doing at the moment and fair play to them you know they've got a scary team and yeah like I said that buyback clause is just I can't repeat it that buyback clause's idea is just incredible yeah I mean Chelsea spend a lot of money on their academy 
they break rules sometimes. You know, they broke some rules to get some players into that academy, but, but you know, they've done a very good job and they're, they're, they're unique to a lot of teams. They, they make a lot of their money from this stockpiling of players and, and letting them go. Obviously, you, you see, you look at who plays for Chelsea every year and you get the Gway, the fantastic players, Gway, Liveramento and all these players. Then some of the players that still play for Chelsea, I mean, Danny Drinkwater's gone out on loan to Reading today. Um, Matt Miazga is still there, 25 years old. Lewis Baker's still contracted to that club. So it's just crazy some of the players that Chelsea have in their team that just have no business being in that team. But I mean, they've had a great window and albeit not a huge amount of signings, just good signings and a lot of future investments made in players. And yeah, I mean, again, when you have an academy system like that and you can't guarantee players games, I mean, why not have let, let them go out, get games? It's almost like a loan deal in a, in a sense because, you know, they can bring them back. I don't know if these clauses expire, but they, they can bring bring these players back. So it's almost like they've just sent Gway and, and Livermento out on loan. It's pretty smart, isn't it? You know, like, I think you mentioned the younger players as well, but, you know, the one for Tammy Abraham as well is there, just in case, you know, because we've had some some De Bruyne's, some Pogba's where they've kind of struggled at first in the Premier League, gone abroad, come back for ridiculous amounts. But you've got the guarantee that if Tammy Abraham turns into prime Ronaldo, which at the moment, he's, met, he's given it a fair old go. Um, you can bring him back. You can have the first kind of viewing at it. And it's so smart. And to be fair, I, I don't want to say this, but Oli has thought about this topic very smart as well, because Chelsea didn't even go through my head because I, I was so focused on incomings. Um, I didn't even think about, you know, who they've got rid of. Um, and, and based on incomings, because... I, I kind of, that's all I've had to think about. Um, mentioned them a couple of times already in this, like the second half of this podcast. Um, I've gone for Leicester. Uh, again, such smart recruitment. Pats and Dacca, one of, you know, if Haaland wasn't knocking about in, you know, the, the kind of eat around Eastern European leagues, Pats and Dacca will be the one you're looking at, you know, he's, and how much Leicester have gone for. I think it was about 23 million. He's just ridiculous. Um, Bubakari Samari as well is a fantastic signing. Um, Bertrand Vestergaard both come in with Premier League experience um, to kind of solidify the depth of that defence as well. You know, Rogers is, is has been so smart with the, with the recruitment he's done, um, and now with Leicester, you know, obviously playing playing on Thursday nights and Sundays, it's it's going to need that squad's going to get tested massively, um, and with um, Adamola Lukma coming in as well, it looks like. Um, again, maybe not someone who's going to set the world alight, but you know, I'd imagine he would get goals against Rapid Vienna, whoever Leicester have in their um, Europa League group. He's a perfect player for that sort of of level if you don't want to necessarily, if you want to rest first team players but not rely on, you know, a 19 year old academy player who's maybe not had loads of first team minutes. I think in terms of that outlay, it's it's just perfect. Um, and yet again, Leicester just show that they seriously mean business. And, you know, I, I've seen a lot of comparisons that, you know, some teams are playing a bit more of a career mode like Arsenal um, and possibly Man United, whereas Leicester, they're on football manager. You know, they're looking <laughs> at potential. Kind of the same, a little bit similar with Spurs um, in terms of who they brought in. That was another team who I had down. Slightly biased, of course, but I do look at it and think, the recruitment made is quite smart. Galini, you know, I think Larice is probably going to see out his contract and that might be it, you know. Um, Romero to hopefully, eventually, um, have that Diaz-Van Dijk effect on the defence. I mean, if they need it, because at the moment. Um, Brian Hill uh, and Pape Metisar as well. 
both ones for the future. Um, so I think on that front, it, it's just such smart recruitment um, from Spurs and but slightly more from Leicester because they have brought in many players who I heard of Daka and Sumare, whereas Brian Hill and Papa Sark, I can't say I'd heard of them. Um, so the fact that, you know, they've managed to get those exciting young players on the cheap, it's pretty remarkable. And it just shows that, you know, Leicester seriously mean business. I mean, you slightly went on to a tangent there about Spurs, but I mean, another team that I thought would be said was Aston Villa. But uh, look, amongst, amongst all of these signings, there are, there are certain players that, you know, probably got overlooked and a bit underrated. So if we quickly just go around and say our, our underrated players, just in the final uh, few minutes of this podcast, I'll say mine now. This player was on both my underrated and my risky uh, list. He's a player which I don't think the deal's 100% gone through yet, but I think it most definitely will. So if it isn't, do, uh, do scratch this from, from listening. Um, it's Daniel James, two leads. Um, I, I was going to say a player, but I'm, I think Nathan might say it, so I've gone with this one just because, you know, it's very current. He, I think he fits the, the tactic and the setup of Leeds perfectly. That pace, vision pace going forward. Underrated and risky. Risky because, you know, he hasn't had the best of times at Manchester United. Six goals, I think, in seven sort appearances. Not the best return for, you know, an attacking winger. But um, someone that I think could really go under the radar. And, you know, £30 million is a, is a record signing for, for that team. But, I mean, a lot of people, I think, are looking on it quite negatively. But the way Leeds play, it, it's, it's a, um, a match um, in heaven, really. So, yeah, so Daniel James is my, my underrated. Um, if we quickly go around, running out of time. Uh, yeah. Do you want to, do... <laughs> do you want to go, Kieran? Uh, well, I can go because I've already mentioned him. Uh, Bubakari Samari, quite simply. Perfect kind of depth level to Tielemans and indeed that partnership's inseparable, it seems. But, I mean, if you're going to have anyone come on and see out a game or start from the, from the first we saw someone slightly injured, saw him come on in the Community Shield final. He was magnificent. Um, manipulates the ball wonderfully. Great height, great strength on him. Great yards um, of pace as well. Just more great signings from Leicester. And I think it has gone slightly under the radar because he hasn't really played. But I expect him to because as good as Ndidi and Tillemans are, they're not going to play 50, 60 games a season. Yeah, no, both all good shouts. Dan James fit Leeds system very well and Samara, great player. For me, I've, I've got a few here. Mark Gway for Crystal Palace. Um, I mean, that's a great sign. We spoke about the buyback clause. There's a reason why he's there because he's very good. was very impressive for Swansea last year and, and should help Palace, especially looking to play a more um, free-flowing style as com- pa- yeah, compared to under Roy Hodgson. Uh, one that went through today, Cucurella um, that signed for Brighton. I think it's a great signing. Um, a young player who plenty of potential came through at Barca, I believe, was at Getafe. Had a good season there. Getafe kind of perennial overachievers uh, in the Spanish league. So he's had a great season now. I think he was involved in, in the under-21 Euros. Spain could be wrong. Maybe the Olympics. I'm not sure which one, but great player and will fit Brighton as well. It's all about fitting the system you, you're coming into and Brighton like to have that left wing back that's more attacking in comparison to someone like Webster or Byrne that holds kind of a right wing back. So, yeah, it's going to be a great sign. And the other one was um, Romain Proud for, I don't know if I said that right, but Romain Proud for um, Southampton, the new left back there. He's impressed um, early on, had a good game against Manchester United, was um, very highly touted in, in the French league. I saw his name a couple of times come up as like a sort of a cheap player that a team could get um, for left back if they needed one and I mean he, he could be a really good bit of business at Southampton and another player that they kind of bring through not bring through but another player they they sign develop and then sell, sell for big money 
Another one that I'm not sure is actually going through, and it's not an under-the-radar player, but one that could be quite important. Uh, Renato Sanchez to Wolves could be a really good signing that, that Wolves could make there. and um, Someone that was linked with all the big clubs kind of after the Euros and after the great season he had at Lille. Um, ending up at Wolves, it's kind of a, another a very Wolves signing Portuguese player um, that probably shouldn't be playing for them, but is playing. But is, and I think he'll, he'll have a great impact, certainly be a lot better than when he was at Swan. I, I, I just want to say this player, because I, I honestly thought Nathan was going to say him, especially because he actually saw him. You saw him live the other day. Damari Gray was yeah, the other player great. I was going to say, what was it, like under £2 million, and he's came in and, you know, he's probably been the best player, or one of the best players for um, for Everton this season. So very, very cheap. And I think they've already made their return on him, to be honest. Two goals yeah. or whatever and stuff like that. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, just quickly, Everton on the best window thing, because, I mean, every, you know, they spent, last season they had a good window, but they underachieved massively in, in the league. But, you know, a lot of seasons they've spent 100 odd million and they've not brought in many actual great players. They changed that last season. This season they've been forced because of FFP to not been able to spend that much. And although it's quite funny to see a team that's pushing, but they, they believe they should probably be a bit bigger than they are, pushing, getting players like Townsend and, and Gray, they fit Rafa Benitez's system perfectly. And they, they they look very good. Obviously, I saw them play on Saturday. They looked very they look very just compact and good. They look good and and tough to beat. I think a lot of teams are going to struggle to beat Everton this year, and and that's a compliment to them and, and their recruitment team who have previously struggled in terms of bringing in good players. And that wraps up the One Two Football podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Check us out on social media, either One Two Football or One Two Football UK. And also take a look at 12football.com for all the late and written pieces from our growing list of contributors from around the world. We're also now on, I believe, we're on Amazon Music and Audible now. And TikTok, if you want to see some of our And TikTok, of course, on TikTok. We're going viral on TikTok. We're going to be the next big influencers on there for sure. But make sure you check us out on there, 12football UK, I believe, it is the um, app. And, and check us out on, on all the social media platforms as well. See you next week.